America is a country of choices. We're a nation of people who want the ability to choose what will best fit our family's needs. And it should be that way with health care, too. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. You just heard Senator Mike Enzi. He's a Republican from Wyoming. I'm David Kestenbaum in Washington, D.C. Today is Monday, August 31st. Hannah, no way. Are you really going to eat all that? (laughs) Absolutely. All of it. I have to. Because it is our indicator today, David, infinity. Whoa, infinity? We've never had infinity before. (laughs) No, but infinity is the amount of ribs that I can eat in this restaurant here for just $25. This restaurant, which we are pretending to sit in, is key to understanding the economics of one segment of the healthcare system. Hmm. Oh, so we've been talking about healthcare. Excuse me. So we've been talking about healthcare as a market on the show and how, as a market, healthcare is pretty strange. So we talked about, you know, how it puts doctors in a strange economic position. Today, we would like to talk about us, you and me, the patients. Who, economically speaking, are we? We're customers, but I would argue we're customers in a particular type of establishment. Let's call the owner over here. My name is John Shaw, and I'm the operating partner here at Hill Country Barbecue Market in New York City. And what is going on here tonight? Tonight, we have all you can eat. Now, I know what you're thinking. We're going to talk about Americans being fat and overeating. No, we are talking about healthcare markets here, products, services, consumers. And in this market, we the patients, I'm going to coin this technical term right now, we are in an economic situation I'm going to call all you can eat. (laughs) Right, because we have insurance. So you want to get your knee fixed? Fine. You want to stay alive another six months? That's okay. You want that drug that you saw on TV? No problem. We pay a fixed amount, and for it, we are supposed to get all-you-can-eat health care. Now, something happens when you put consumers in an all-you-can-eat scenario. It changes your behavior. There's definitely a sense of abandon in the all-you-can-eat programs. David, there's a table in the corner over there. So not only do they have an unholy amount of meat on their table, but they are trying every single side. So there is something nice about the all-you-can-eat transaction because you don't worry about the price. You eat all you want. There's also something not so nice, and it's the same thing. You don't worry about the price, and you eat all you want. So we're not saying the patients are willfully going out there and devouring 10 times more health care than they need, but... You know, we've talked about all the waste in the healthcare system, and it is true that there is almost no incentive for us to try to eliminate that waste as patients. Yeah, look at that guy. He's just throwing out his baked beans and sweet potatoes. He just, he didn't like them. Now, there, there is nothing necessarily wrong about the way this is set up. Yeah, so, you know, for dinner, maybe an unlimited amount of ribs isn't so great, but in healthcare, it's not necessarily a bad way to do things. It's just, you know, like the rest of the healthcare market, it is unusual. So normally, when we buy something, we shop around, you you walk into a grocery store with some money in your wallet, and that money will run out when you spend it. There are prices on the shelves for you. Not so with healthcare. It's all you can eat. To a point. It actually gets a little stranger, because uh, imagine you walk into the restaurant, you're about to fork over your 25 bucks for all you can eat, and then your boss shows up and says, oh, no, Hannah, don't worry about it. It's cool. I got it. <laughs> right, because most of the time, our bosses pay for a lot of our health insurance. In most situations, it's a benefit. It's like a perk. 
a lot of times we, we take that for granted. But when, when you think about it, it's a little odd, right? Our employers, they, they don't pay for groceries. They don't put our kids through college. But health insurance, yes, they do. So, David, I think we need to make another stop to really understand this part of the patient, to understand ourselves. So I'd like you to imagine you're in Northern California. I'm going to take you to a place that takes the idea of employee benefits to an impressive extreme. A guy named Camden Gilman used to work there. You may have heard of this place, a little place called Google. And by the way, everything Camden's about to say is all true. There were there were a lot of perks. Um, probably the the most visible perk is the meals. So free breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Typically, they hire all star chefs. I had dessert with every meal. It was a dangerous place to work. Let me tell you. That's why <laughs> that's why I took a, such advantage of the gym. There was a sauna, a lap pool. There was a free on site laundry, which was pretty neat. There was I'm trying to think what uh, there was a on site volleyball court. We I think we had something like sixty massage therapists employed at a point um, where any employee could go in and have like a half hour, hour long massage. And how much did you pay for all that, for all the food and buses and massage? It was all free. That was the crazy thing. Yeah, the perks were a big, uh, big bonus for being able to work there. It was, uh, I guess someone was paying for it. Yeah, someone is paying for it. So it's, it's the same with your health benefits. So here are some numbers. According to one study, for an average family, health insurance costs about $13,000. So we may pay, you know, a third of that. And it's easy to think of that like a perk, a free perk. You're just psyched that your employer is paying a big part of it. But in a lot of ways, this is a total illusion because those massages, sure, they were free that Wednesday afternoon, but in a bigger sense, not really. So that money, though, I mean, that had to have been coming out of your wages. You could have been paid more. Oh. Um, did you ever think about that when you were working there? I guess I never did. Uh, it never came up. Uh, but uh, thank you for bringing it up so I could give it some thought. Um, <laughs> no, I guess I always just thought um, that was just part of the company. So I think most, most employees probably think the same way. I guess if, if I would just paid more, I would have just saved it and put an investment or spent it on something, I probably wouldn't have been quite so um, irresponsible. David, I keep thinking that as patients, we're kind of like a, a kid with our parents' credit card, you know, because we, we have no idea what anything costs. And it doesn't really matter anyway, because your mom is paying for it. Hey, mom, I, I'm going to be back later. I'm going out to get an MRI. <laughs> okay. All right. It's not exactly like that. But to the extent that we are economic players in this system... The bottom line is we as customers, as patients, right now we're not very involved. So the question really is, do we want to change the role of the patient? Are there good reasons for us to be like a kid with our mom's credit card? Or would the system work better if we were all penny-pinching comparison shoppers? Now, we know neither of those are really fair characterizations, but okay, you get the gist. And so, Hannah, you and I talked to these two guys we were both really interested in because they're, they're both regular folks, consumers like us, who got really interested in this question. Both of them have backgrounds in business, and neither loves the system as it's set up right now. But when you ask them this question, who should the consumer be, they have completely different answers. We're first going to hear from a guy named David Goldhill, and he wrote an article about healthcare in The Atlantic. Um, the article is called How American Healthcare Killed My Father. My father uh, was 82 years old when he walked into a hospital with uh, uh, pneumonia and uh, uh, within five weeks uh, was dead of a, a series of infections that he'd acquired in the hospital. 
since my interactions with that level of healthcare were relatively few before that, obviously my family had illnesses like everyone else, this was a major event for me. And I thought about all the things I had seen while accompanying my father uh, in his time in the hospital that made absolutely no sense to me. The, the fact that my father several times was taken for procedures intended uh, for other patients the hospital's minor investment in information technology, less than, I, frankly, I saw it in my own dry cleaner. And here is an industry where information literally is a life and death matter uh, that relies very, very heavily on paper. My car mechanic doesn't rely on paper records. And seeing a lot of what I saw made me think, uh, there's something fundamentally wrong about this because businesses don't behave this way. What's the conclusion you draw from this? You, you believe that if the patients were somehow acting more like uh, customers, that this would be a lot better. Well, it's, it, I believe it's, it's the tip of an iceberg. I mean, I think all of us notice that there's something of a disconnect between us as patients and us as customers. I mean, any of us who participate in the broader economy, any other service or good we can think of, notice that something about healthcare and almost every interaction is different from, you know, lines, there's something as simple as lines and waiting rooms. Uh, to, uh, you know, to bills that, that uh, are completely indecipherable. So David Goldhill says that after his father died, they did get the bill. It arrived, and it was for $636,687.75 for care that was largely resulting from an infection that his father got in the hospital. It, it was actually more like a copy of the bill because Medicare covered almost all of it. How different would health care be if that hospital, instead of presenting the bill to Medicare, had to present the bill to my mother? So David Goldhill has this other proposal of the way that he thinks things should work for consumers. And when he sets it up, he talks about this number that's pretty astounding. I actually read it three times when I read his article. He says, if you look at it over the course of your lifetime, what we and our employers um, together spend on a family's health insurance is $1.7 million. So all the premiums, all the out-of-pocket stuff, all the Medicare taxes, $1.7 million. So he proposes that instead of taking that $1.7 million and, and basically making it invisible to us, why not allow us, the patients, to control it? Why not do it like this? You require that every person buy some sort of catastrophic plan, and, and that'll cover you if something really bad happens, like you get hit by a car. Um, any expense over $50,000 will be covered. Less than that, you're on your own. Now, $50,000, that is a really high deductible. You'd have to pay for routine doctor visits, for broken bones, to have your appendix taken out. But remember, you do have that $1.7 million. It's not being taken out of your wages for insurance now. Right. It's yours. You have to put it bit by bit into some sort of health savings account. Let's take all the money we're spending on insurance, give it to the patients, and have the patients spend much of it directly. Let's have catastrophic insurance for the worst cases, uh, the, the truly rare, major, unpredictable events. And the rest, let's rely on the consumer uh, for ordinary expenses to pay directly, uh, for more major but non-catastrophic expenses to save against or be advanced against their savings for if they occur earlier in life. The key is that the patient is actually getting the bill. So, so Richard, what does that sound like to you? It sounds like people not getting care when they need it and making the wrong decisions within their health care system. This is Richard Kirsch. He works for a group called Healthcare for America Now. And he actually thinks about this from a business perspective also. He has an MBA. But he, he says... No, it may seem like we're consumers, but healthcare, he argues, is not a commodity. It's totally different from shopping around for a car or a pair of shoes. 
let me start with, let's say you look down on your arm and you see a growth there. And, you know, you're worried that growth might be cancer, but you're also scared. If now you've got to go into a bank account or have financial uh, barriers to getting that care, even if the money's there, but you're not sure how long it's going to last, what you need it for, you may not go and go to the doctor and see if that growth is a problem or not. And you, so you go and it turns out it's not a problem. Good. Was that a waste? But what if it, you didn't go and it was a serious melanoma that cost a lot more expen expense and it was a lot more serious to your life later on? We don't want healthcare consumers making decisions based on finances. The other thing that we've, I've seen in all the work I've done over the years is lots and lots of data that show that when people don't get into the system early, when they, when they don't have uh, access and coverage, they end up getting much sicker and being much more expensive later on. And so particularly for conditions like diabetes and hypertension uh, and asthma, if you get people in early, you basically are uh, more likely to find that you can treat them early and not have really expensive diseases. If you have financial barriers and people don't get in the system early, they get much sicker and they're much more expensive to care for. So to recap, while David Goldhill wants the patients, us, to control the money, Richard Kirsch says that's a very iffy and potentially dangerous proposition. And here's the economics for why he's skeptical. He says, in situations where we as customers shop around for things, that only works when we have good information. Think about buying a new car. You know that you know the miles per gallon. You can test drive it. You can read reviews. Kirsch says we need that kind of information to have a properly functioning market. But he argues in healthcare, we do not have that kind of information. When you go to the doctor as a consumer, here is what happens. You have idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura, also known as ITP. We've determined that you have an ischemic cardiomyopathy. You will need a transesophageal echocardiogram. Richard Kirsch says as long as you have this huge gulf of information, you can't turn things over to the patient. People are looking for care they can afford in the system as a whole. Yes, we need to control that. But we're not going to do that by saying to people, here's a pot of money, go out and be a healthcare consumer. And that's like when my wife was in the hospital with a gallbladder surgery recently, and it was an emergency procedure, and she was going to shop around and see, is this the best surgeon? Is this the best hospital? Where should we go that morning? We live in Washington. How do we know what the best hospital is? Um, or the best doctor. How do we know if that's, is that exactly the right procedure? Are we going to trust this doctor or not? No, that's, that's Again, not how. In the, re, in the reality of, of how people experience the healthcare system, it's not like shopping for, say, a high-end product like a car. And even then, how many consumers uh, use the best information versus it, all the know, advertising uh, preferences they're having? Excuse me, but, but uh, uh, again, that's a misunderstanding of how consumer economies work. That's David Goldhill. And a quick warning here. Gold Hill is about to talk about Walmart. But he will not be using Walmart in the same way you sometimes hear Walmart talked about. You know, people say it's huge and annoying. He's, he's not making a political statement either. He uses Walmart simply as the classic example of a place that has managed to drive down prices almost as low as they can go. You benefit from Walmart whether you shop there or not. In most, in most goods and services, there are very few active consumers. What happens is everybody selling a good is affected by Walmart. You benefit from that wherever you are. So many of those who oppose consumer-driven health care use the perfect as the enemy of the good. You're not going to shop for health care if you're hit by a bus. That's not the point. The point is you're served in a health care system that has been tightened up 
both from a cost and quality point of view, by the fact that some consumers, for many procedures, are shopping around, and not just on price. The reality is, if I'd known what I'd know about this hospital, it's not where I would have put my father. Um, It's not that I would have been able to discover that when he got sick. It's that in the same way that I can find out about almost any business if I choose, their quality record uh, and their pricing, I want the same thing for healthcare. It doesn't mean that when you get hit by a bus, you pick up the phone and call 10 hospitals. And I think this misunderstanding of how consumer economies actually work is crucial to a mistake that's made a lot, which is it is much better to have some big, financially interested institution make a decision on your behalf because you're not smart enough. You don't have to be smart enough to get the best deal on most things in our economy because some people care enough to create the Walmarts of the world. And that's all that happens is once there's a Walmart, you better be competitive with Walmart or you're out of business. So Goldhill's saying, you know, yeah, sure, we do have an information problem. He thinks patients don't always have the information we need to make the right decisions right now. But he says that would change if if we were the ones paying the bills directly because doctors and hospitals, they would have a strong motivation to compete to get our business. But Kirsch, in response, made this other powerful argument, which is that Look, we uh, that's a fine proposal, but we, we don't need to dump all this in the lap of the consumer because there are places around the country, like the Mayo Clinic, that get things right, that provide good care, that don't waste tons of money. So he says we just need to set up the incentives differently to reward that kind of behavior. We don't need to dump all this complicated decision-making into the lap of customers, of patients. Uh, David, I, I feel like a puppy in between, you know, two people with a ball listening to these guys. It's like... Goldhill has the ball and my head swings over to him and I'm like, yeah, why don't hospitals have electronic records for patients? I mean, that seems crazy. And then Kirsch gets the ball, my head swings to the left and I'm like, yeah, I probably wouldn't go to the doctor if I had that bump on my arm, if I had to pay for it out of my wallet. Head swing, I spent $1.7 million on health insurance. It's just, it's like a really hard question. It is. And we are very grateful to David Goldhill and Richard Kirsch for coming in. Thank you. And thanks, Richard. It was, it was great, to, great to spend the time with you. Great. You too. We do have one end note here. There is a study of this stuff. RAND did it. They began in the 1970s. And it's still cited really as the only health insurance experiment that has ever been done. And it looked at exactly this question. What happens if we make patients more like consumers? So in the experiment, they enrolled patients in different kinds of plans. In some plans, the patients were more like what David Goldhill imagined. They had Patients had to pay sometimes 90% of the costs. But in other plans, it's more like what Kirsch recommends. They, they have to pay nothing. And the RAND study actually has the answer to the question that Goldhill and Kirsch are debating about. It is, get ready, they are both right. <laughs> it, it found if you require patients to pay part of the bill for individual services, yeah, that does reduce waste. But it also results in some people, particularly poor people, not going in to get the care that they need. Okay, folks, I think we are going to leave it in that happy place of it's complicated, it's messy, sort of like a rack of ribs. (laughs) Yes, Planet Money, the, the death panel for simple answers. You can read more about healthcare on our blog, npr.org slash money. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening. <laughs>